As we prepare to read Scripture, we begin with a word of prayer. So I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, as we read the ancient words of Scripture, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us through these ancient texts so that in all the words and phrases that fall on our ears, we may hear your word embodied in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue with our stories of the adventure of the character Jacob. This is from the book of Genesis, chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night before the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. He dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. My hope, as I continue through this series, is that each of us, that we can interact with these very ancient stories and somehow see ourselves within them. This is the second in a series of sermons that I have entitled The Jacob Chronicles. Now, one of the challenges of preaching a series is that each sermon builds upon the former. And the person that sits in the pulpit cannot always be sure that the congregation was present for the previous sermon. Now, on television, I discovered how they deal with this. They issue at the beginning of a serial a quick 30-second overview of the previous episode. And so I'm going to give you a 30-second overview, maybe 45-second overview of the previous episode. Here's what we learned about Jacob. 
He was sneaky. He was a narcissist. He was lazy. He was selfish. He came from a dysfunctional family. He cheated his brother. He deceived his father. And he was smart and clever. But he used his intelligence for his own gain. We learned that his brother Esau was angry because Jacob traded a bowl of stew for his birthright. And later, Jacob completed the hat trick by deceiving his father into thinking he was Esau in order to steal the blessing that was reserved for the older brother. Esau was mad, really mad. And he threatened to kill Jacob. Now, this would not be the first time in the Bible that brothers fought and threatened each other. Remember Cain and Abel? And so what does Jacob do? He runs away. He fled from his brother Esau into the wilderness of Haran. It was in the north, in what is now Turkey. This, as I mentioned, is the second sermon in a series on the life of Jacob. At this point, one may wonder, why is Jacob so important? Last Sunday, we discovered that God uses scoundrels. And yet the question remains, how did God use a lazy con artist like Jacob? How? Today, we're going to look at one of the better-known stories in the Old Testament, I can remember when I was a child in vacation Bible school, we learned the song, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder, Children of the Cross. By the nodding of heads, you learned it too. First, I want to unpack the story of Jacob's Ladder in Genesis. Second, I want to show, or will try to show, how Jacob's dream is the first step in his spiritual growth and development. And finally, I want to look at the very nature of spiritual development and maturity as we, you and I, experience it today. But let's go back to the story itself. It begins with Jacob on the run. He was a fugitive from family justice, if you will. He was running from his brother, whom he had cheated and humiliated. But should we be surprised? Jacob was a coward, and cowards run away. But he was not merely running away from his brother. He was running away from his true self. He was a moral and psychological coward. He was trying to flee the reality of who he was. He had no intention of taking responsibility for his actions. None. And so he ran away into the wilderness. Now there's an expression, you can run but you cannot hide. But Jacob doesn't know this yet. He believed, in fact, that he could hide. But the truth would reveal itself at night when he was asleep. You see, when we sleep, our bodies rest, but that's also when our defenses rest. That's even when the most selfish person is vulnerable 
to the power of the conscience. I can remember as a child waking up one night because I couldn't sleep. And I went downstairs where my mother was reading, and I told her, Mom, I can't sleep. And then she asked me, Brent, what did you do wrong? (laughs) How did she know? (laughs) It was then that she explained to me about the human conscience. I can't remember what I did that caused me to lose sleep that night, but I will always remember the lesson that she taught me. I learned the power of conscience and the importance that it plays in our moral development. Many years later, I learned the Presbyterian principle that God alone is Lord of the conscience. When our conscience is bothering us, it could be an encounter with God, an encounter with God. The conscience causes us to struggle mentally, psychologically, and spiritually. These struggles of the soul often mug us in the night when we are asleep and vulnerable. We wake up horrified, frightened, bothered, and worried. We can't get back to sleep. St. John of the Cross spoke of the dark night of the soul, and I suspect that interrupted sleep and disturbing dreams are part of the struggles of the human spirit. Indeed, a dark night of the soul. So Jacob laid his head down and slept. And then he had a dream. The dream was of a staircase or a ramp, a ladder. It led from the very spot where he was sleeping into heaven. And angels or messengers from God were ascending and descending the stairs. That's the account that we have of the dream. Not a complicated story or tale, simply a vision of heaven joined to earth by a staircase or a ladder. A staircase or ladder between earth and heaven. What could that possibly mean? The 20th century theologian Karl Barth wrote, if I have a system It is limited to a recognition of what Kierkegaard called the infinite infinite qualitative distinction between time and eternity. I went to seminary, so I get to quote Bart and Kierkegaard. (laughs) Let me translate that. In other words, God is in heaven and humanity is on earth, period. Two different realms of existence, two different experiences of time. In this story, though, heaven and earth, God and humanity are connected by Jacob's ladder. The home of God is not completely separated from earth. Angels, messengers of God, if you will, move up and down the ladder, indicating to us that God is involved in human history and in human affairs. The realm of God is not separated from ours. It is indeed an ancient vision. Earlier in the book of Genesis, the people of Babel attempt to build a structure to connect the earth to the heavens. They were foiled in their attempt. 
But here we discover that such a structure already exists. A ladder hanging from the heavens, reaching down and anchored in the earth. That's the direction of, biblic of the biblical encounter with the divine. They begin with God and move toward humanity. This ladder, Jacob's ladder, facilitated an encounter with God. Jacob was about to encounter the divine. Until that moment, God was not a part of Jacob's life. I went back and read the earlier accounts about Jacob's life, and I noted that there was little or no mention of God in them. God existed in those accounts only in the content of the blessing. But now in this dream, God was powerfully present. Suddenly the story takes on a new dimension. We're not only witnessing accounts of things here on earth, but also in heaven. God revealed himself to Jacob. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And in that one statement, three generations are connected. Jacob's universe was enlarged. God, who revealed himself to Jacob that evening, was not a concept, not an idea, not a philosophical proposition. No. The Lord was and is a God who chooses to remain in relationship with God's people. In that moment, the muddy mystery of history begins to clear. Jacob was no longer merely a scoundrel on the run. He was the heir of promise that was offered to his grandfather, Abraham. Think about it. Jacob, a scoundrel, a cheat, a liar, and a con artist, was claimed by God. A child of promise. This is the good news of this. God claims us also as children of promise. Jacob was awed in the dream. And when he awoke, he said, Truly God is in this place. And he named it Bethel, which translates as home of God. This is the beginning of the change or transformation that takes place in Jacob. The psychologist John Sanford wrote, there are three ways that a human being grows spiritually and emotionally. The first is suffering. You know, not merely physical suffering, but the suffering of the spirit, the struggle of the soul. The second is through a recognition of a power greater than our own that is at work in our lives. And the third is by coming to care for someone. And that's your preview for next week. We'll see how these three transforming powers are present in Jacob's life. First, he struggled. He suffered. Jacob was a child of comfort and luxury. Genesis states he was a man who spent his time in the tents. He was sheltered and cared for by his mother. 
But now he was in a desperate situation. He was on the run. He had to make do for himself. He had to scavenge food. He had to do without all the comforts of life. He had to exist by himself in the wilderness. And ironically, and think about this, Esau would have done okay in that situation. But this was a new experience for Jacob. And he was frightened, running, scared. And he was suffering. He was suffering. His struggles in the wilderness were an outward manifestation of what was occurring deep within his soul. He was struggling with his identity, with who he was. He was confronting the realities of his own shortcomings. You see, human struggles are not an antidote to egocentric selfishness, but they have a way of opening the soul to the transforming power of God. And then Jacob has the dream. Here God encountered him, confronted him, if you will. The narrative's language changes, and we read that Jacob was afraid and in awe. Why fear and awe? Because he realized that he was in the presence of a power that was much greater than him. He realized that his cunning, his deceit, his ability to manipulate others was of no avail. And he was forced to acknowledge that there was a power that had some control on his life. What was the significance of this? Jacob, like most egocentric individuals, was a control freak. He controlled events. He manipulated people to his advantage. Now he knew that he was no longer in control and that there was a power greater than Jacob. What effect did this have on him? It began to break down his selfishness. He would soon begin to acknowledge that there were other people and that there were other powers in the world beside himself. His egocentric attitude was bruised. And now there was room in his life, not only for others, but for God. Every sermon should ask the question, so what? So what? Now this is an awesome story about spiritual, a spiritual journey and the growth and the development of a soul. It's an account of an encounter with God, and I think it gives us five insights into divine encounters and spiritual growth. First, we learn again an important lesson about human development and spiritual maturation. There's a t-shirt that says, God isn't finished with me yet. Anyone here have one? Okay. In this story, we discovered that God hadn't even started with Jacob until that night in Bethel. Human beings, no matter what their history, are never beyond the reach of God. Never. Jacob's ladder reaches from God into our lives. God initiates an encounter with us. Human beings, 
egocentric, manipulating, and immature ones like Jacob can grow, and they can mature. As I mentioned last week, this is a message of hope, but it's also a bit of a warning, a warning to be careful of our judgments of others. We just shouldn't write off people so quickly, which we tend to do. Second lesson, we learn that often the spiritual journey takes place beyond our comfort zone. Jacob fled into the wilderness. There he was without bed, food, and other amenities. When he was there in the wilderness, the divine encounter began. This is archetypal. You know, think about it. Jesus sought the wilderness before he began his ministry. You know, some of the ancient religious communities were located in the desert or wilderness because the adherents believed that God was uniquely present there. And today, we associate the wilderness with personal growth, be it scouts camping and practicing survival skills, or the outward-bound experience, or just hiking in the woods or mountains. Christian educators tell us that retreats and church camps are important because so much more can be accomplished when the participants are outside their zones of comfort and familiarity. I can remember when I was serving in Philadelphia, the youth group, the Minister for Youth, took our senior high youth into the city of Philadelphia with big bags and coolers filled with sandwiches and food to hand out through the entire night to homeless, people that were homeless, without shelter. Those kids grew. I still follow some of them, and they have matured and become wonderful individuals in life. Think about it. Our comfort may be the very thing that insulates us and protects us from genuine human, from genuine spiritual growth. Our comfort may be what shields us from growing spiritually. Third lesson. It's a lesson that we have long thought true. The struggles of the soul are redemptive. The dark night of the soul can indeed be a teacher that prepares the soul for transcendence and opens it to the divine. The fourth lesson is that we learn that maturity and growth involve the recognition of a higher power in one's life, God. This recognition often takes place within a powerful encounter and it's both frightening and it's awesome. Jacob's ladder prefigures the story of Saul's conversion on the road to Tarsus. It's a little connection you can make there. Our spiritual struggles, our quest for identity, and our encounter with God have a way of breaking down that narcissism and egocentricity that governs our lives. The last thing we discover is the importance of awe, A-W-E. Not awe shocks, but awe. 
The Jewish mystic, Abram Heschel, wrote, There is only one way to wisdom, awe. Forget your sense of awe, let your conceit diminish your ability to revere, and the universe becomes merely a marketplace for you. The greatest insights happen to us in moments of awe. As that old gospel hymn goes, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. Awe precedes faith, and it is there at the root of faith. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. It's a ladder in the earth, but it's anchored in the heavens, anchored with the divine. We climb it fearfully. Each step involves struggle, loss, pain, and discomfort. Each step requires us to let go of our self-centered immaturity. Each step, higher and higher, brings us closer to the divine. And when we gaze from that ladder, from Jacob's ladder, our vision fills us with awe and wonder. And we realize that we too are indeed children of promise. This is the good news. Amen.